Thanks for listening to Other People's Flowers. If you'd like to have your work feature in the program, please send it to editor at otherpeoplesflowers.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This week, we're featuring work from Stephen McGuigan. Stephen McGuigan was the original author of the Bible. He vowed never to write again after the publishers removed the dinosaurs and the spectacular alien abduction ending from the final edit. His other, lesser-known novels are A Pig's View of Heaven and Trip a Dwarf. Let this damn day break. Phyllis Day spat out a wad of sulphurous phlegm and padded barefoot across the rough, ember-strewn floor towards the tunnels, just as she did every morning. She paused for a moment before entering the vast subterranean cave of the summoning chamber to admire the fountain of molten lava that hissed and spattered delightfully, illuminating the labyrinthine passages around her. A quirk in her personality, one that had elevated her to her present position, for there were not many souls who appreciated the strange beauty of hell. She had been handpicked by the devil. He had told her so himself from the multitude of tormented drudges that writhed under his fiery gaze. Not for her servile acceptance he had been quick to point out, but rather her enthusiastic embrace of all that he had thrown her way. You've the petty diligence of a bureaucrat, he liked to say, and bigger balls than Job ever dreamt of. The older Dadje was true. When you've learned to love hell, you're in heaven. Not that heaven, by all accounts, was anything special. On her smoke breaks, Phyllis liked to mingle with heaven's minions, though their flowery scent made her queasy and all they did was bitch about cutbacks and holiday hours. It was typical of his infernal majesty's genius to impose a smoking ban in the workplace, forcing those upstairs to follow suit. All those petty little miseries kept them on their toes. Fatty foods had been replaced in the canteen with rice and pulses. Phyllis, allergic to anything without hooves, ate it until she liked it, and delighted hearing Heaven's molly-coddled mob piss and moan. She wouldn't have traded places with them for all the rain in Ireland. They could keep their harps. She much preferred her bells. Oh, how Phyllis loved to ring Hell's bells, loved how they tolled so ominously throughout the cavernous chamber, awakening the damned to yet another day of pointless drudgery and torment. For the damned slept too, dreaming of hope and escape, all the better to be tortured by disappointment and despair when the bells ripped them from their slumber. Satan knew all about the petty margins, the cruelty of the small print. The devil truly was in the details. Phyllis rarely slept herself. Hell was so vast, covered so many time zones. She had to ring the bells at all hours, and though the summoning chamber was a constant hive of activity filled with other lost souls performing their duties, she was always eager to cadge a shift off an exhausted colleague. No rest for the wicked, she would say, covering her embarrassment when praised by her demonic superiors. And when her shift was over, Phyllis liked nothing more than loitering in the viewing area, gazing down at the damned below as they rubbed the sleep from their eyes and tried to brace themselves for another hideous day. Taped up above the monitors was a poster of a wild-eyed man chewing on a baby, blood dripping down his chin to form the legend, You don't have to be evil to work here, but it helps. 
It always made Phyllis smile, and she was smiling now as she toggled a few buttons and zoomed in on her latest project, enjoying the blank horror on his face as he slept enveloped in a thin blanket of his own sweat. There was a sharp tap on her shoulder. What are you grinning about? It was Marjorie from the Small Grievances Department, an intolerably nosy woman, which, being an inveterate snoop herself, was probably why Phyllis liked her so much. Hell's very foundations were built on old women incapable of minding their own business. She had visited Marjorie in her cramped little office many times. She had a picture of her husband and her kids on her desk, a reminder, she said, of why she was better off dead. I'm just happy I've woken up my Jack, Phyllis said. It always made me happy to think of that. Even the mention of his name gave Phyllis an illicit tingle. The thought of her hateful husband roused from his snoring to face another day in pandemonium never ceased to tickle her. Is that why you're over here, to have a sneaky peek? asked Marjorie, who often came to the monitors herself for a gloat at her family. Not especially, said Phyllis, reluctant to talk about her special project. But now that you mention it... Go on, Marjorie urged. Let's see the old bastard suffer. Phyllis smiled as she typed in the code for the nethers. It was what everyone called the netherworld below, although Satan, a stickler for formality, insisted it be called the true hell. This is a restricted area, snapped a voice behind them. Why aren't you two working? I'm on my break, said Marjorie to the short imp, glaring up at her. Phyllis suppressed a smile. Johnson, the line manager, was a self-important, jumped-up little prick of a demon who, due to his diminutive stature and tiny horns, was in a permanent foul mood. She liked him immensely. Well, have your breaks in the designated restrooms. You can't just loiter on the shop floor. Marjorie pulled a face behind his back, giving Phyllis a little wave as she left. You, day! growled Johnson. That Alice creature has put her back out again. I really should force her to work through it, but I'm in no mood for her pathetic whining. Could you cover for her? Certainly, sir. I'd love to. Johnson glowered at her suspiciously. You can enjoy your job too much, you know, dear, he said. Remember, the Dark One sees all, and what he fails to notice I'll put in my next memo. Phyllis smiled sweetly and returned to the bell ropes, singing a satanic lullaby to herself as the discordant clamour rang out, jarring her brittle old bones and making her ears bleed. As she tugged on the ropes, she thought of Archie Troon. He was the real reason she went down to the viewing area to peer down into the abyss of the anethers after every shift. Archie had become something of an obsession. Phyllis was mesmerised by the misery etched on his face each morning as her bells awoke him. It was almost as if he knew, as if it were personal. Let this damn day break, Archie would grumble as he lurched from his bed to face the horrors of a new day, and Phyllis Day would tap the screen, zoom in and whisper back, Oh no, Archie, my dear, this day will never break, nor buckle in her course. If she ever doubted her vocation, and there were times when even the delights of hell grew monotonous in their unyielding agonies. All she had to do was conjure up the wonderfully expressive face of Archie Troon, moulded anew each morning in a fresh sculpture of exquisite anguish. No, this day will never break, but dawn again and again. Her heart sang, as she told, because of your sensitivity, my sweet, suffering Archie. Phyllis was only getting into her rhythm when, bad back notwithstanding, Alice turned up, demanding to be allowed to return to work. She was a real moaner, was Alice, but also a first-class, say it with flowers, ass-kisser. It was one of the things Phyllis liked most about her. Well, if you're sure, she said, handing the rope over. 
Alice was practically bent double with pain. If she thought this show of courage would impress half horn Johnson, she was whistling out of the wrong hole. Phyllis hurried back to the viewing area, zooming at the monitors back down to the nethers, focusing on the bedroom of her beloved Archie Troon. She was in luck, for he was only now awakening like a lot of the wretched dam down there. His sleep was more akin to a coma. Hello, my ugly little walnut, she cooed, tapping Archie's bald cranium on the screen. Shouldn't you be working? She spun round, intent on telling Johnson that Alice had seen fit to soldier on with her duties, only to find herself face to face with the devil himself. Your dark highness, she squeaked. Satan took many shapes. Today he was a tall, handsome man, albeit one with ginger hair. Phyllis was inordinately repulsed by the colouring. It reminded her of her husband. The Dark One undoubtedly knew this, and had chosen it specially to test her. She flicked off the monitor, muttering a stream of nonsense as an apology, as she tried to hurry past, only to find Satan holding out an arm to bar her way. Not so fast, he said, his breath scorching her cheek. What is it that draws you here? Nothing, I was just looking down on the nethers, she blushed, realising her mistake. The devil could be a real stickler for formality at times. I mean, the true hell, my lord. The nethers. He rolled the word around his mouth, as if it were a succulent infant's eye. I haven't heard it called that in an age. I didn't mean... Of course. The true hell has always had many names. You were trapped down there, once upon a sin. Do you remember what its denizens called it? She shivered a little, despite the heat. Earth, she said quietly, repulsed by all the connotations of health and vitality that ludicrous name conjured. Yes, Earth. The devil said, rubbing his long fingers so briskly tiny flames crackled at his black nails. Why don't we both watch this Archie Troon together? You know about... Old Half-Horn Johnson was right. The Dark One saw everything. Your extracurricular sideline, Satan smiled, arching his thin brow. But of course, let's just see how your little pet project is getting on, shall we? He turned, his voice filling the summoning chamber like a tsunami. Ring the bells in Sector 6 once more. He flicked the screen back on and hugged her close. Oh, I do love a good show, don't you? He hissed, his fiery eyes molten with glee. And as Hell's bells rang out, the alarm clock buzzed dolorously by Archie Troon's bed down in the true hell of Earth, and he finally awoke. He sat on the edge of the mattress and buried his head in his hands. He looked exactly like one of the statues that lined the infernal gateway that greeted the constant influx of new arrivals. You've really done a number on poor Mr. Troon, laughed the devil. Why him, out of the faceless billions? He reminds me of my husband, said Phyllis, smiling despite herself at the figure of pure misery on the screen. So you come here every day and whisper hopelessness into his tormented mind, the dark one mused, his face long and thoughtful. Never a good sign. I'd better get back to you in a minute. The devil stalled her, placing a burning cold hand on her shoulder. I too have been keeping tabs on our illustrious Archie. Let's stay a while and see what fruit your little project bears. They watched in silence as Archie watched and dressed. Phyllis, so enthralled by his desperation and forgetting for a moment the company was in, clapped her hands in vicious joy as Archie broke down in his bathroom, crying at the sight of his own reflection. I did that, she squeaked. Yes, agreed the devil, and so much more. Wait and see. They waited, 
As Archie lugged a heavy bag out through his front door and down the crowded early morning streets, his face pale and disconnected, until he reached the office block, where he toiled fruitlessly, anonymously. They watched as he reached his cubicle, a three-walled cage, and sat motionless, oblivious of the activity around him. They watched as he opened his bag and took some handcuffs and a clutch of knives and suddenly come alive, animated by purpose at last. They watched Archie race from cubicle to cubicle, redecorating it with the brains of its occupants, emptying his gun, stabbing and slashing until the scream shook the monitor's speakers. They laughed as Archie put a dagger under his own chin and hammered it into the hilt, the difference before and after in his vacant eyes barely discernible. Phyllis whooped with joy. She had expected Archie to eventually snap and take an overdose or something. Even in her wildest dreams, she could not have imagined such a carnival of death. You have a gift, my dear, the devil said, flicking off the screen with a well-manicured nail. I've been watching you for a long time, charting your descent, and I feel it's high time you were promoted. I don't know what to say, my lord. That's neither here nor there given you have no choice, I'm sending you back down to the true hell where your talents can be better utilised. I have the perfect role for you, one where you can do a lot of damage. You mean... Phyllis felt a flutter of almost orgasmic intensity. I'm going to be a social worker. No, no, the devil grinned, snaking a heavy arm around her neck. I was thinking of something in advertising. I have agency all over Earth and... Oh, busted in... Phyllis, bold in her excitement, I have so many ideas how to break people's spirits. Christmas campaigns that start in July, endless sales and down payment options that she trailed off under Satan's black gaze. Pushing, always pushing, hissed the devil. It's one of the things I like about you most. Other People's Flowers was produced by Hugo Gibson, Chris Kamon Vutitam and Hamish Adam Kans. If you'd like to have your work featured on the show, please send it to editor at otherpeoplesflowers.com. Thank you for listening.